Hi, and welcome to another episode of Lead Like You Give a Damn, where I speak with leaders and leadership experts who have cracked the code on leading with authenticity, purpose, and effectiveness. Before we start, let me ask if you've seen our one-page strategic growth plan to go from chaos and heroics to repeatable, scalable growth. Go to davemckeown.com forward slash plan to access this super simple four-step system to achieve your strategic growth goals with ease without sacrificing profit, quality, or employee morale. Now on with today's show. I'm your host, Dave McKeown, and my guest today is Chat Razdan. Chat is the founder and CEO of Care and Wear, which is reimagining how the world looks and feels about healthcare. Their goal is to bridge function and fashion to create a more human healthcare experience. The company works with clinicians to ensure that products are medically superior to others, but also with end users to ensure that their needs are met too. Listen as we talk about the user-centered design process, the importance of building culture early in your team's growth, and why turning down big opportunities can sometimes come back with even greater rewards in the future. As always, make sure you're subscribed to get notified of each episode as it comes out. Let me know if you have any questions or comments, and as always, enjoy the show. Well, hey, chat, thanks so much for being here with me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Yeah, it's exciting to talk to you, chat. I'm super curious about the origin story of care and where. How did you get started with that? Yeah, definitely. So about eight years ago now, I had loved ones diagnosed with cancer who had been told to wear tube socks on their arms while they were getting treatment. And Mm. I don't know a lot about fashion, but I knew at the time that wearing a sock on your arm was not super fashionable. And so wanted to come up with something better. And so started working with nurses and doctors from Johns Hopkins and UVA to try and redesign the tube sock. And kind Mm. of while we were doing that, took a step back and realized, whenever you go to the hospital, everything's always been focused on function and not necessarily on how it looks or how it makes you feel. Mm. I just wanted to build a brand in the healthcare space. And so started working on it and it just started kind of taking off. And the next thing I knew, we had a company and we were focused on trying to help everyone inside and outside of the hospital with what they're wearing. Gosh, what an incredible start. So this notion of blending function and fashion has sort of been built into the early stages. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So kind of how we differentiate ourselves when we started, I knew my background is I'm a former strategy consultant at Kearney and former investment banker at Goldman. Mm. So I knew that I wasn't the right person to be designing these products. And so I wanted to get the right people in the room with me. And that kind of morphed into my realizing, hey, this is kind of a process we want to undertake for each and every one of our products. So today we have a three-pronged approach to product design and development and the not so secret truth. It's really just the get the right people in the room guide to product development. So first and foremost, we're always working with nurses and doctors to ensure that our products are medically superior to everything else out there. Mm. And by working with them, we are in kind of strategically ensuring that we create proprietary IP for each and every one of our products. Secondly, we're always working with the end users to ensure that they actually want to wear the product. And I always go back to when I was a child, I had to deal with getting tubes in my ears three times. And I remember as the son of a doctor, I actually knew every single person operating on me. And Mm. 
I remember while I was scared of getting surgery and I was sad that I wasn't the cool kid getting his tonsils removed, which meant that I wasn't getting to go on an ice cream diet for a week. I was most scared about the fact that I was exposing my backside to all these people that I knew inside the hospital while we were kind of going through the operation, et cetera. And so I wanted to make sure each and every time that we have that seven-year-old version of me involved in the design and development. And then lastly is bringing in a fashion and design approach to incorporate the latest trends and technologies and designs. We've been really fortunate to work with brands like Oscar de la Renta and Notori Company. We even have taught a class at Parsons School of Design with 10 amazing students and really just focused on trying to help as many people as possible. Yeah, I had to get tubes in my ears three times as a kid as well. And I, oh, remember, man. I remember those robes were just not fun flattering no. for anybody. <laughs> So how does that approach, I mean, you know, you're talking through what sounds like a really common sense approach, you know, get the nurses and doctors who are going to use the product, get the end users in the room who are going to ultimately have to, I guess, you know, use it themselves and then make sure that there's that fashion and design element to it. How does that differ to what other organizations in your space are doing? Yeah, I think honestly, historically, people haven't really thought of taking a third of a three-pronged approach where Mm. like normally people will kind of, you know, a lot of either patients or clinicians will try and create a product just from their perspective. Right. No one has really ever thought of bringing them both together. And I think that's where we're truly differentiating, where we're kind of trying to bring together every single person that could ever touch or be involved in your product. So like when we taught the class at Parsons and redesigned the patient count, we had designers, we had patients, we had clinicians, but then we also thought to incorporate environmental management services. So the teams in the hospital that actually are carting the gowns back and forth, laundry and linen. So people that are actually dealing with the laundry, owners and operators of commercial laundry facilities where the gowns are going for laundry, kind of just trying to think of every single person that may be touching this and getting Mm -hmm. them involved in the design and development. And I don't think anyone has ever really thought to do that before. And still today, I think most companies don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a huge loss. Like Mm -hmm. most recently we launched uh, scrubs for clinicians and we included nearly a hundred different types of clinicians in our process to just really think about all the different types of people who may use the product. And it wasn't even just clinicians. Now we even have like housekeeping staffs in hospital using the scrubs. It's really trying to think through all of the use potential use cases and what are their needs and making sure that we're solving for them. How do you balance kind of competing objectives from that perspective? You know, you've got that many voices and use cases. There's got to be a degree of negotiation that has to go on to settle on how it looks, how it feels, what features it has, because you can't please everybody, right? Yeah. No, it's very true. I think it's, you kind of, when you're talking to people, the most important part is communication. So Mm. not just taking their feedback, but letting them see the progress as you continue forward and then sharing with them the final version, including with them what feedback you use, what feedback you didn't use and why. Right. And I think the why is the most important that people really appreciate when you explain to them, hey, you know, this was a great idea, but for this reason, we 
didn't do this. And a great example would be Velcro. When we first started with our pick line covers, everyone was like, oh, you should just create one size and have Velcro on there to adjust, which believe me, would save a lot of SKUs. It would save returns, et cetera. But Velcro actually harbors microbes. And so you're creating a situation mm. where you are using antimicrobial fabric and treatment, and then you're countering that by creating an opportunity for microbes to grow and fester. And you can't have that, right? Like we don't, the whole point was that we wanted to create something antimicrobial. And so in that case, we realized while Velcro would be much better in terms of a cost for care and wear and kind of making it adjustable, it wouldn't work for the end user. And so we had to go away from Velcro. Um, similarly, a lot of companies out there love using magnets, right? Like magnets are great as fasteners, especially for people that might not have the strength to be able or dexterity to be able to snap things together. Mm. But you can't use a magnet in a hospital around machinery. And so right. that immediately eliminates the ability to utilize magnets. So it's explaining that when someone recommends using magnet or Velcro, as to why we can't do that. Does the kind of length of time to design and prototype and, and then ultimately build a product like that compare to what some of the more, let's call them conventional methods of design are shorter, longer, about the same? Yeah. I mean, the first time I created the pick cover, it took us about a year to go from first concept to a sellable product. Now we've definitely gotten a lot better and we've created a lot of processes mm. in place, but normally we tell, tell our partners that when when we start working on something, you're probably looking somewhere between six months to a year to kind of get it ready. And as we've grown, we've been able to include like pilot testing, prototype testing, just making sure that products will work in a real world setting more and more before we bring it out to the mass market. And so I think that it enables us to be smarter and better in terms of the final version of what we're bringing out to the market. But a key thing that I think is so, so important is I tell everyone, we don't, here at Karenware, we don't have a final version of anything. We in hmm. fact refuse to say that anything is a final version. We want to be constantly iterating, constantly improving our product. And I think that that's where we probably really differentiate from a lot of companies, right? Like a lot of people want to say, hey, we're going to go create this product and this is all we're going to be manufacturing from now on. Whereas we say, this is our first iteration. And every time we come to you, the factory with a PO or further order, mm. we're likely going to have changes. And a lot of the changes to the naked eye, probably you can't even tell the difference, but to us, it's super important to always be thinking through opportunities to improve and make a better product. And so mm. a great example for our pick line covers, we just launched a new version with a silicon band at the top, just to kind of keep it a little stronger of staying in place on your arm. And that was from feedback that patients had given us over the years about how they wish that it was a little tighter on your arm or mm. our patented mesh window. We have over the years changed the mesh fabrication to be a little more see-through for nurses and doctors to be able to see if there's any sort of leakage or infection so that they can identify a problem a little more quickly. Mm. From the end user standpoint, it's really not that noticeable, but when you're lying on a hospital bed and someone's looking from far off, it is very different and very noticeable. And I think that's really, really important. Now, does that approach give you 
additional challenges when it comes to getting the various approvals that you need to be using these materials in a medical setting, that sort of iteration, and there's never really a, a final final product. Is, is that tough to get sign off for? No, I actually think it makes it easier because it allows hospitals to see like, hey, these guys are serious about innovation and they're serious about continuous improvement. And so it's something that they tend to be just as excited as us to be coming up with better kind of things that we can do and changes. And mm. they're excited to give us that negative feedback because they know that we're going to not only take it, but we're going to act on it. And I mm. think that's something that's so, so important and something that's kind of core to our DNA um, here at Karenware. Mm. Do you have a specific criteria for products that you will work with and specific products that you won't? What What's sort of your guiding principles for, for what you'll pursue? Yeah, it's a great question. I think how we think about it is what is a problem that our community is facing that we can really, really build and improve on? So mm-hmm. Historically, for example, we were very much a patient first company where all of our products were patient focused. And then when COVID hit and we started helping hospitals with PPE and protecting the front lines, the biggest piece of feedback we heard from nurses and doctors was, hey, you do so much for our patients. You're now doing a lot for us, but why not do something for us long-term? Why not work with us to give us scrubs that are comfortable and fashionable and things that we can really feel good about ourselves. And hearing that feedback got us really excited about the opportunity to help clinicians and to help them kind of feel more human and more like themselves. And so that was what led to our partnership with the Notori company who is notorious for their comfort and loungewear and their pajamas and Mm. really well-known and well-respected brand. And we were really pleased in the middle of the pandemic Uh, to be able to launch our scrubs to help all the clinicians around the world just feel more like themselves even when they're at work. I want to change course just a little bit and talk, Mm -hmm. maybe spend some time talking about leadership lessons over the last couple of years. Love to start just with that background of strategy consulting and investment banking and love to hear from your perspective. What advantages do you think that brought for you as you were getting this off the ground and maybe even what limitations there may have been as a result of that background? Totally. I think in terms of positives, obviously work ethic is pretty unparalleled. And Mm. so look, I I mean, at Goldman, I once pulled an all-nighter for a week. And so if there's ever a night where I think like, oh, I'm going to have to work till 8 or 9 p.m., like that's (laughs) not the end of the world anymore because I know what it's like to not sleep forever. And so I think that that has been really, really helpful. I think dealing with stress and the up and downs of roller coaster of being at a startup, right? Like every day there's 9,000 things that go incredibly well. And there's 9,000 fire drills or issues that come up that you're like, okay, I got to solve for this. And when you're a banker or a consultant, you're dealing with senior management of fortune 500 companies and you have similar things happen on a daily basis. And so you're kind of used to it. And so when you're at a startup, you know, regardless of how amazing or how terrible things are, you're willing to, you don't let yourself kind of change too much. And I think that's been really important to kind of keep a calm and collected, even kind of head on calm and collected and kind of remain even keeled, no matter Mm -hmm. how amazing or terrible things are going each and every day. I think the second thing is thinking more through things like culture and structure of an organization from an earlier standpoint, right? Mm. Because I think a lot of startups do follow that fake it till you make it mantra and they don't really 
worry about development, et cetera. For us, we're very worried about that. And so we have formal review processes. We have actual reviews that everyone fills out, et cetera. And we've been doing that from day one. And I think that that's something that's really important and a key way to really differentiate ourselves is to really focus on your development as a human. I know my father actually worked for the same company for 40 plus years, and he had numerous opportunities to leave. And he stayed because he was given opportunities to do a lot of different roles. Mm. And we've been really proud to be able to offer the same. One of our employees actually has been here four years and has been in four different roles. And I think that's important to help kind of grow your team and grow their abilities and skill set. And then lastly, I think what I miss, I think, is the just the camaraderie from, I guess, less so now that we're starting to build a larger team and all that. But in the early days, when you were in a bank, you like at Goldman, there were like 200 people just on my industry group team in New York. And then I started a company where at first I was like four people here. And so just the ability to get different opinions and thoughts, et cetera, you had really had to work for it. Right. And so I created an advisory board. I had a ton of advisors that I used to go to. And that was something that really allowed me to kind of try and solve for that issue. But I think it's something that startups, a lot of them don't realize is still trying to ensure that you're getting different opinions, different thoughts, hearing just different strategies is incredibly helpful. And the only way you do that is by talking to more and more people. And how has your role specifically shifted over the last number of years? Yeah. Well, I always like to tell everyone that I'm not only the the CEO, but I'm also the mailroom attendant and the janitor. Today, we now are in a big enough office space that comes with its own janitor. So I'm not cleaning up as much. No, I'm kidding. I think it's really evolved in the opportunity to hire people that are better than me in specific areas. And I Mm. think that that's something that's really awesome. And as a founder and CEO, it's really fun when you had something, you started building it, and then you were able to attract someone that knew it 50 times better than you. And so like when I look at the different leadership areas for our team, it's awesome, right? Like I've got a head of product with over 20 years of experience that has been able to really take our product development to the next level. I have a COO who lives and breathes operations and implementation. We were actually just able to hire a head of marketing who's going to bring incredible insight and ideas to like our community manager. What the magic she works with our community on social media is 5,000 times better than anything I could ever do. And I know when I started initially, it was, hey, just like retweeting stories and like trying to post things, but I didn't really have a strategy. And now we're able to build out a really strong strategy of how we're going to engage with the community, et cetera. And so I think having more people, they always say at Goldman, we said teamwork makes the dream work. And my favorite math equation of all time of one plus one equals three, but really, really being able to leverage each other's strengths and really help each other build out and do even greater work for our community. And so in building that team that are able to take over some of those massive parts of running the business, what does that leave you to focus on? What do you spend your days thinking about? 
Yeah. So it allows me to do things like talking to you. Now it gives me more time to kind of think through the vision of the company and where we want to take it and start to make more of those strategic thinking and strategic moves, mm. which I think is really important. In the early days, you're normally very reactive as a founder and CEO, where you're just trying to put out fires left and right, left and right. And now as we've built our team, I get to spend more time focused on being proactive. And I think that enables us to be smarter and more diligent and being able to do incredible partnerships and things like that. Recently, we just launched with CBS nationwide. So our pick covers are available today in over 800 uh, CBS locations. And look, it's something that I actually told them no two years ago, because I didn't think our team could handle it. And mm. I didn't think we had the ability to deal with that kind of scale. But now today with a team of 15 or so and growing, it was something that I thought absolutely made sense. And CBS mm. has been a tremendous partner. They've been an innovative leader as a company that started because of cancer. Obviously, CVS's move of saying no smoking and et cetera, and taking a huge stance against cigarettes was something that resonated really well with us. And it was something that we were really proud to work with someone like them. And I think the sky's the limit for the, the opportunity ahead and for our ability to try and change lives all over the world. What a gutsy choice that was to to turn them down two years ago, because, you know, for so many startups, just saying yes to whatever comes in is kind of the path yeah. to viability. Was that a difficult choice to make or did you know it off the bat? The truth is, is I knew it off the bat and I knew it was the right move. Was it difficult? Yeah, it's difficult to turn down revenue and to turn down that opportunity. But I also knew that it wasn't going to be successful. And when I think about doing partnerships and working with people, for us, it doesn't make sense unless we think this is going to be a five to 10 to 20 to 50 year kind of relationship. And I think that I didn't see that path two years ago because I didn't think we were staffed appropriately to be able to do that. And mm. I think think it's it was a harsh reality at the time but there were other customers at the time that that kind of made sense for us to focus on and other areas that we were focused on and kind of kept the relationship warm and agreed that when the timing's right, we would come in and do it. And look, it ended up being better for us. We got great, a great partnership, a great agreement with them. And today they've, they actually have like a cancer section in all these CVS health hubs. And mm -hmm. we're one of the main focus brands in it. And so it's really worked out really well for both parties. And, and just a great example of, you know, saying no at any given time doesn't mean that that's no forever and that right. things come around whenever they should. So yeah. as you look out into to the future, What's next? What's next for you folks at Karenware? Yeah, I think it's just doing whatever we can to help everyone around the world. I was like, you know, when you talk to investors or others, they'll ask you, well, what's your market size? And I tell everyone, we're trying to help all 7.8 billion and counting people around the world. Everyone deals with healthcare at some time or the other, and we want to be there with you. We want to be able to support you and comfort you and keep you safe and secure, regardless of whether you're a patient, you're a clinician, you're a caregiver, caretaker, et cetera. Like we want to be there in that journey with you. And there's so much more that we can do. And we're excited to do whatever it takes to help every single person feel like themselves. A fantastic outlook for the future. So where can folks hear more about Karen Ware and the wonderful work that you're up to? 
our website is just www.careandwear.com. Like I care about what you're wearing. We are on social media at Care and Wear on all channels. As I mentioned, we're in CVS. And then we work with a lot of hospitals around the nation, helping them with our products for both their patients and staff. And we're excited to keep doing more and trying to help as many people as possible. Well, Chad, thank you so much for being here with me today, sharing your thoughts and your perspectives. And thank you for the excellent work that you and your team do. Really appreciated the chat. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, of course. Thanks so much for having me. And we're really, really appreciative of this opportunity to share more. Thanks for listening to Lead Like You Give a Damn. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about me, the show, or the work that I do, you can go to davemckeown.com and I'll see you next time.